This episode includes strong, violent, and sexual content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Carrie. And I'm Chrissy. And And we we are Status Macabre. Recorded live from the Maddie Johnson Podcast Studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. This is Status Macabre. Hello. Hey. How are you? Good. I'm good too. And hello <laughs> to everyone out there. Hello, everybody. I um I was very appalled to hear that a mother got shot in New York. Okay. I have to say, um, probably in New York, mothers are always getting shot, but I don't think I know exactly the case that you're talking about. So there's what, what happened? Um, they're in the upper, I think it, it was East side or West side of Manhattan. So in a affluent area of mm-hmm. Manhattan, um, a young mother, she was 20. I want to say, Already had a smaller child, but she was pushing a three-month-old baby in her stroller, and somebody shot her. So I immediately was like, oh, it's got to be the dad or something. Um, He was dressed in all black right, with a hoodie, um, came up behind her execution style and just shot her. Oh, she's 20. Yeah. Turns out it was the dad or something related to the father. Um, and he had already made a lot of threats about killing her and, and the baby and, and whatnot. And so, yeah, she, he, he apparently just went and shot her. Yeah. So I just, um, I just Googled it because, you know, I live in my own little world. If it's not sci-fi or true crime or work or, you know, my immediate closeness, I'm like, People are like, did you hear about? No, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. So just let's go <laughs> ahead and get into it. Tell me what it's about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I heard about it just because I was fishing around on the internet yeah. when I was supposed to be working. But yeah. yeah. No, I didn't hear about that at all. So um, so not just a random woman. And it's unfortunate. I, anybody getting right. shot in the back of the execution style or whatever, mm-hmm. especially in front of their young child, even though the child is three months old, I'm sure yes. there's going to be some adult trauma that they're going to have to deal with or oh god yeah go through but uh, you don't hear that often about these types it's not gang related it it wasn't a robbery it's and I know it happens because it's what we do right right but you don't hear about it like that so that's very interesting I mean it's unfortunate but it's it's interesting well yeah it's it's what pushed this guy he maybe he's got some mental issues but um I find it clearly. I find it very unfortunate that this poor lady, you know, just out walking her daughter to only be shot. Business, yeah. Now were they? And I'm I'm trying to I'm skimming. Mm-hmm. Were they married or I'm, no. I mean, okay, so they were. I'm assuming separated. It doesn't I, really go into it here. Yeah, I think it was her boyfriend, if I'm not gotcha. mistaken. And like I said, he had threatened her, um, and then. She felt the need to reach out to him so that he and his daughter, the baby, 
um, could have a relationship. Right. Which, you know. Set the ball in motion. I, yeah. I was going to say hindsight's, you know, 2020. And unfortunately, it's ended for this let's poor do, lady. But I mean, let's just let's just do two things. Keep your legs closed. And then let's just right. don't. Like, <laughs> but <laughs> you're right. Upper East Side. So, yeah. Probably definitely an area you don't expect something like that to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think she was in a woman's shelter, if I'm not mistaken. Um, woman's shelter in the Upper East Side? She was trying to Sign get away from up. him. Yeah. Uh, right? <laughs> was it like, like the Ritz Carlton of. Uh, I should shut up. Shelter? I know we're going to hell. <laughs> um, I did want to mention, because honestly, I don't know that we mentioned it in our last segment, podcast, whatever. That we are going to be going to oh, yeah. New Orleans. At the New Orleans. Now, I don't care how you people say it. And yeah, I, I said you people. I'm saying it, New Orleans. It and when New I get Orleans. down there, I'm probably going to go New Orleans. Nolens. Not Nolens, but <laughs> New, Orleans. New Orleans. Because if I remember correctly, and I can't remember his name, but there's a dude on TikTok that I follow. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, I and remember you pointing. I'm that pretty one out. sure he would take his hat off and smack me in the face if I said Nolan. Nolan, that's not how you said we. The th- me, um, Carrie, and and another of our friends. We have to remind him that's not how you say it. And he, yeah, that's why I sent I sent that TikTok to you. It was like show your boy. This yeah, and how it's supposed to go. <laughs> God, God bless him. But it had been a while, right? Right. So yeah, um, but it's gonna be. I know I'm not gonna say Nolan's. It'll be. New Orleans, New Orleans or New Orleans, and I'm probably going to fuck it up on purpose just to have people correct me. Uh, we have a awesome trip planned. I can't wait. Um, one of our stops, I think, is the Death Museum that I just found out about. So yeah. that's, that's super exciting. Yes, and we're going to be down there for several days. We're staying in the, uh, we're staying in a haunted, one of the top 10 or maybe even top five haunted, uh, quote unquote, mansions, uh, uh, Madame Delphine, right? Yep. So and yeah, go back you and guys listen to that episode. Remember, I did that episode, and um, I look here. It's- I am not. I'm never in love with people that do these terrible things. I'm. I'm more like they're so intrigued. I want to know. I would love to pick Why? your brain, right? Exactly. Like five minutes in the room with you. Oh, what were hour. you thinking? What was happening? How can I document this? Like, I think it would be awesome. <laughs> anyway, yes. Um, she was a. She was. She was very evil. And so it would not surprise me if evil spirits, you know, absolutely, especially. Yeah. And then what, what translates over the generations and what in her mind, you know, in completely different times. Anyway, we're getting off subject. Chrissy has an amazing episode for you guys today. I do. I do. I find this one very interesting. And I know all about it. You do. I read the material. I was going to say, because she's had some time to uh, do a little research herself. So <laughs> sometimes we're in like super big hurry and, and we throw things together. We put the episode together and um, we sent it to the other one to, you know, for feedback and yeah. corrections. And because there are definitely times I've been caught up or slipped up because I'm like, that's not worded correctly. Right. We don't have an editor. Yeah, no. If, so <laughs> if, somebody, if somebody wants to work for free, we can't or, pay. Us. You know, I mean, if you're local, we can you know drinks every now and then. Exactly. You can help us. Uh, that'd be awesome. We'll braid your hair. Definitely. Yeah, definitely at me. <laughs> okay. So let's get into it. Um, today's episode is about the Bennington Triangle in Vermont. 
Um, and this has um, always kind of uh, been very uh, creepy to me. Um, I'm not a, I like the mountains, don't get me wrong. Um, but I'm, I don't know much about the ma- mountains. I'm a beach girl. You know, I like same, everything same. out, yeah, right in front of me. So mountains. Born on the beach? Right. Uh, mountains seem a little creepy, but. Oh, well, I appreciate, I do like the mountains, but I'm yeah. not like, like my grandma, she, she always says, you can take the girl out of the mountain, but you can't take, take the, the mountain, mountain out, out of the girl. girl. Like, right. oh, Mimo. And I call her Mimo. So yes, I'm 45 and I call my, I call her Mimo. I'm like Mimo. There's nothing right. wrong with that. <laughs> Go ahead. I love me some Mimo. Same, same. So um, this is in Glassenberry Mountain, Vermont. Um, the Bennington Triangle is centered around Glassenberry Mountain um, and has long been known for strange events, including UFO activity, Bigfoot sightings, strange lights and sounds, and the location where at least five people have disappeared um, between the 1940s and 1950s. The area is said to be cursed, according to Native American lore. The Indians of the area had long been weary of the area and avoided it. Um, An eloquent legend warned of a malevolent stone in the mountains that would open up and devour anyone um, unlucky enough to step on it. So I want to... interject here because um here's what i say if the native americans the indians yes a horse a dog if and i'm not comparing them i'm just saying you know yep. this is what i'm saying is if there is something that they're not going to step into or walk on chances are my ass ain't gonna do it either exactly i, I don't know if you've and i can't clearly i've never been on a reservation or had a conversation with an with an actual Native American, um, which I think would be amazing. But you know, I've had I had horses when I was little, and um, there was one place that she would stop, and there was a free range. Oh, she wouldn't go, and we would walk her into the field next door, mm-hmm. and there was a beehive, like a like a little personal somebody was doing bees back oh okay then. yep and i don't know maybe it was the bees but it was about a hundred yards from that she just would stop she wouldn't go anywhere near it really and when i was younger i was like oh it's just the bees but now that i'm older i'm like i wonder if there was something there else was a man-eating was. rock out there or I a mean. skinwalker Ooh, ah, oh. which totally interests me but that's not what this episode is about yeah we'll talk about that so um, the phrase Bennington Triangle was coined by a New England author, Joseph A. Citro, in 1992, who said the area shares characteristics with the Bridgewater Triangle in neighboring Massachusetts. So um, I want to totally do an episode on the Bridgewater Triangle, which is similar in spookiness. There's some caves. There's some people that have gone missing. So, right, right. But he's comparing those two, saying they're you know, alike. Um, and I also want to point out, we have the Bermuda Triangle. It seems like triangles, guys, yeah. just stay away from a triangle. The, um, this, oh, you're going to do um, something on the Bridgewater yeah. Triangle. However, a quick question about that, and you may not know, mm-hmm. but the Bridgewater Triangle is more over land, right? And y- the yes. Bermuda clearly is, um, is more of a water. Okay. Right, right. And it's funny because until you mentioned this or until I read this, I didn't realize that there was another triangle. There's several triangles. I just assumed that there was only one. And if there was more, they would always be over water. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about triangles, three-sided things. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Double. 
<laughs> the sign of the double. The stretch of woodlands around Glastonbury Mountain includes the towns of Bennington, Woodford, and Shaftesbury, as well as the ghost towns of Somerset and Glastonbury. So Glastonbury is where we're kind of focused on and, and where most of the scariness is, is taking place. So it's difficult to know where the truth ends and the legends begin about the Bennington Triangle. Even details about the people who have vanished from the area can be, it can vary. But one thing most people seem to agree on is that before these disappearances began, Native American tribes held the belief that a curse overshadowed the surrounding woods. With the angry spirits that dwelled in the forest, the tribes stayed away. The only exception was the burial of their dead in the area. So they're only going to bury those folks in, I guess, that little, I don't know, triangle. Maybe they believe their souls came back to life. I I, I don't know. I don't know. But I'd stay away. So (laughs) while the Native Americans ascribed a curse of um, two glass and berries mountain um, is anyone's guess. We don't know why. Um, its woods are dark and isolated. By some accounts, it's also silent, devoid of the usual sounds of nature, such as birds and insects. And many people also attest to ghosts and common hotspots of eerie sensations. So I just want to relate the quietness and the isolation and, and compare that to the suicide forest in Japan. Yeah. Because that also is devoid of any sounds of nature, which is kind of creepy. I find that very, very strange. Why aren't animals in that area? Especially for someone, and I don't know about you specifically, but I've had a lot of country life yeah, and, you know, like literally acres of land Mm -hmm. and it's just non-existent unless there's maybe a predator around or something happening. Yeah. Well, and it, yeah, it goes back to the dead too. You think about it. Is the dead, and and is that very, uh, is that reason why animals stay away because they know people are buried there? Possibly. I don't know. Just just a theory, right? So um, one of the local Native American legends is, you know, about the man-eating stone. Uh, If someone happened to step on the stone, it would open up and swallow the person. Not surprisingly, some commenters on blog posts say that there are sinkholes strewn about the mountains, which may explain the legend. Um, I guess people may step on those and down you go. Um, We don't know if there's any mining caves or anything that, you know, I guess somebody may fall into. Another oddity in the Glastonbury um, area, which you know, are man-made piles of rocks that dot the land. And hikers and explorers really aren't quite sure what to make of these, where they came from. Is it just parts of the mountain? But it almost looks like they're man-made, you know, and it looks like little areas of of rocks, like somebody's trying to line a, a, you know, a flower bed or something. Looks like somebody actually did man-made, you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Glastonbury was mostly un inhabited by European settlers before the 1700s. In 1761, New Hampshire's governor chartered the town, and by 1791, six families lived in the tiny community. So you got a a really small little town going on. Um, It became a logging town in about 1870, and as many as 240 people called it home. 
However, overlogging of the mountain by the 1880s uh, decimated the trees and led to the town's decline because there's really nothing left. Perhaps the logging damage to the landscape and wildlife caused the Native Americans to believe that the spirits of the forest had become angry. Maybe the Glastonbury curse was something more sinister, though. Not only were there multiple crimes um, that were left unsolved, but it was also flooded in its entirety less than a decade after its heyday founding. One of the Glastonbury crimes that were never solved, um, their causes remained a mystery as well. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. In 1892, Henry McDowell bludgeoned his co-worker, John Crowley, to death. He later claimed, quote, he heard voices telling him, end quote, to do it. Following his arrest, Heather Sutphin reports he was sent to a mental health facility, which he escaped and was never seen again. So, okay. Suspect potentially number one. Right. And we don't know why he killed his coworker. I mean, there are many reasons why you might want to kill a coworker. Crazy. He said, uh, <laughs> he said, uh, voices told him to do it. Well, I'm just saying, how many times have you thought I'm going to kill this person? Because I don't either do stupid, they're loud, they're annoying. Yeah. Let's but, think about it. <laughs> I mean, once or twice, but if I was, I don't know who, well, a coworker, right? Mm-hmm. And back then, I don't, I mean, I don't know snapped I, I i don't know he lost his shit he looked at my horse the wrong way i got nothing well in 1897 john harbour was shot to death by an unknown person despite being in possession of a loaded gun and his never his murder was never solved either today only the ruins of glassenberry ghost town remain with only eight residents so we went from six to eight still a very small community I don't know what they do up there. Um, I'm I'm envisioning some mountain people, you know, the, what do you call it? The blacks and the browns. They're fighting with guns on their porches. I don't know what's going on. Maybe there's some moonshining going up there. I don't know. Um, So let's get into the missing people. Some visitors of the region have also reported experiencing unusual confusion or dizziness. Um, In an interview with Bennington Banner, Um, A guy named Robert Singley said he was lost in Bennington's Triangle when, quote, everything crescendoed crescendoed into this weird sort of dizzying confusion. It just suddenly got dark. And then it was like, where the hell am I? What's going on? I've got no idea what's going on. Singley said he sought shelter under a large maple tree, which was expelling a weird haunted energy. And that was a quote from him. He eventually made his way out of the woods the following morning. However, others were and have not been as fortunate. There have been long um, stories of people going missing in the area. In fact, there is an estimated 40 people said to have gone missing in the vicinity. Uh, To this day, a majority of details regarding the six major disappearances in Bennington Triangle are still undetermined. Uh, These took place between the years of 1945 and 1950, almost right after the town of Glastonbury was finally disincorporated by the state of Vermont. During a five-year span, beginning in 1945, people began to disappear with regularity, so just one right after the other. What's bizarre is one common thread throughout many of these disappearances and incidents 
and that is the color red. I need to understand a little bit more about this, and I feel like you're going to get into it a little bit more, right? A, a little bit. Okay. We're, we're going to dive a little bit into that. Um, with two of those involved in the string of disappearances having actually worn red, with the others, there's still a, a tie there. But two of them had been wearing red, and it's become somewhat of a legend that those heading to the spot should avoid wearing red themselves. So anybody going to Glastonbury Mountain in the Bennington Triangle, just I don't care what it is. If you got red on, take it off. If you got red hair, just don't go. I feel like this is a stretch, but. <laughs> well, just don't go. Just- you know, I mean, <laughs> it's just a chance I'm not willing to take. You Are you telling me yeah, you, wouldn't, you-, you wouldn't go up there with a red uh, underwear on or bra? Well, I mean, you have red hair. I say, let's just not go. <laughs> let's just not go. I'd totally risk it. Yeah, I know you would. I'm, I'm, yeah. And then when you fell on the rock I'd be like, and the and, and the man eating rock ate you, you'd be like, "Fuck!" I would. Chrissy said we should I mean, go. I, I listened to the podcast, and then uh, I'd be looking down at you, going, "Told you so, bitch." Told you. <laughs> Well, anyway, so additionally, many of the disappearances, and this is also another strange anomaly, um, a lot of the activities take place in late afternoon between 3 p.m. and 4 p.m. But this is also not much to go on, you know, just as the red, you know, clue there. But um, I'm staying away from red and going between 3 and (laughs) 4. So the first person to go missing is a guy named Carl Herrick. In 1943, he was enjoying a trip with his cousin, Henry, 10 miles northeast of Glastonbury Town. The two became separated, and Carl just never returned. Henry found Carl's body three days later in a bizarre scene. Carl's ribs had been punctured, um, and they had punctured his lungs, and the postmortem indicated that Something had squeezed him to death. Henry reported that there were large bear prints around the corpse. However, experts say a bear would not have necessarily squeezed a man to death. Sat on him while he was eating him? I mean, possibly. I mean, I've squeezing seems to me like your whole rib cage would have collapsed versus just some front... You know, oh, frontal yeah. ribs. Well, well, then they. Well, but if you if but, you're crushed on your chest, yeah. your ribs will crack and break and puncture your lungs. That right. makes complete sense. Of course, I'm not a doctor, but I also thought about. I watched. Um, do you remember Faces of Death? Oh yes. So I watched an episode, and I it turned me off. But one of them was a bear <laughs> attack. Right. Um, I'll never watch Faces of Death again. I'll never go near a bear, bear or alligator. Right. But, um, there was a guy. Mm-hmm. He was being really stupid, and he was at a park right. that you were supposed to stay in your car, and he was approaching a bear. I can't remember what kind of bear it was, if it was a big brown, black, or grizzly, or whatever. Right. But he was walking up to the bear with, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a baby Ruth. It was a candy bar. No way. He was trying to give this bear food, and the bear, and this is why I'm like, it may not be, I don't right. know that bears attack like you know, where they crush you specifically. Right. The bear took him mm-hmm. and held him down and literally gutted him and started eating his organs. Oh, is this a black bear or is this That's like- what I said. I couldn't remember. I don't know if it was a black or brown. This was like 20 years ago when I watched this. And the only reason I asked, because I know one is much more aggressive than the well, other. Well, that's irrelevant. My point is, I don't know that, 
I'm agreeing with what they're saying here, essentially. You think that it was a bear? Uh, no, that they said because a bear would not have a squeeze. Oh, oh, the I see what death. you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I saw and that little bit is I don't is think. Is it gutting versus yeah, a squeezing? Hey, yeah. Like you've seen them with, I've seen the nature shows where they just start ripping the skin off the fish and they get in yeah. and they. I don't know that a bear would sit on somebody. Right. You know what I mean? No, I'm with you. And I, I think the claws. You know, his toenails, fingernails, whatever you want to call them, they're sharp. And like you said, squeezing would mean that he was very careful not to, you know, rip him apart. Yeah. It would be more of a, yeah, I mean, clawing to death. You'd see slashes and the skin and things like that, not a squeezing. Yeah, because it says that the experts, after your research, right, said that it's unlikely that a bear would have squeezed him. So. Essentially what I'm hearing, I could be wrong, is that we don't really know what the hell happened to this dude. Yeah, no. It's very it could have been a Yeti. <laughs> it's and silent crickets. <laughs> well, let's go on to the next person who is Middle Rivers. Um I love that name. Middle? The whole thing, Middle Rivers. I just think it sounds It's very uh Native American ish. It just sounds in my super opinion. cool. It does. Name your next kid. I know, I'm kidding. Negative Simmons. <laughs> Negative Simmons. <laughs> Ain't gonna happen. <laughs> I like that. Well, the next person to go missing was a 74-year-old hunting guide, again named Middle Rivers, on November 12, 1945. Rivers, who knew the area very well, uh, was leading a party of four hunters in the area of Hell Hollow. And let me just say, Really? Do, if we, do you even have to say it? Yeah, if it's called Hell Hollow, I'm not sure that I want to go. Um, but Come it is on. it is occupies um, like the southwest woods of Glassenberry. So as he led the group back to their camp, he got ahead of them and never returned to camp. Initially, the other hunters weren't concerned as their guide was a very skilled woodsman. However, when rivers didn't resurface, an extensive search was conducted by 300 concerned locals and U.S. Army soldiers dispatched from Massachusetts Fort Devens. Though they combed through the very vast wilderness for eight days, the only thing found was a rifle cartridge of the same type that rivers used. And there was no evidence of an animal attack, and his body was never found. So that was, I'm sorry, a rifle Cartridge. cartridge just a, oh wow where anybody could be using that same type of cartridge so yeah. uh, to me that's not a telltale sign at all yeah um and even after their exhaustive search many locals believe that the knowledgeable woodsman would be able to survive and would soon resurface in town but he just never did rivers disappeared along the long trail road area which is a very popular route um of the Glastonbury Mountains and the Bennington Triangle. Um, and that's, to this day, his body is just never found. So we we have no idea whatever happened to him. Now, a year later, a 18-year-old college student by the name of Paula Weldon went hiking on Long Trail on Sunday, December 1st, 1946. She was wearing a bright red jacket. Several people had seen her go, including a store employee in Bennington who had given her directions and an elderly couple who were hiking about 100 yards just right behind her at the time. 
there was no concern until a college until the college sophomore failed to show up for her classes in Bennington College the next morning. Afterward, an extensive search was conducted, including more than a thousand people searching, and that included aircraft surveillance. They posted a five thousand dollar reward and also received help from the FBI. The elderly couple who had seen her on the trail said that she seemingly just vanished um, after she turned a corner on the trail. During the massive search, no clues to her fate were ever discovered. Now, exactly three years after Paula Weldon went um, and disappeared, a man by the name of James Tedford went missing on December 1st, 1949. And what I find fascinating is that Paula had gone missing on December 1st and James Tedford also began um, went missing on December 1st. Three years apart, right? Yeah. How creepy is that? A veteran resided or resident of Bennington Soldier's home, Tedford, had been in St. Albans visiting relatives and returned home on a bus when he vanished. According to witnesses, Weldon was one of 14 passengers on the bus at the last stop before arriving in Bennington. However, when the bus arrived in Bennington, he had just seemingly vanished. His belongings were still in the luggage rack, and an open bus timetable was on his vacant seat. No one had seen him get off the bus, and he didn't disembark in Bennington. Though the disappearance was investigated, no one had seen anything, nor did they report any suspicious incidents. That's spooky. It is, and it's... That one's probably one of the more... That one in the previous lady. Yeah, I, I find... A little more creepy. Yeah, I find this one a little bit, you know, disconnected from the triangle, just because while I get it, he was going to Bennington, and he was in that area, he wasn't actually hiking along the mountain. He wasn't on the long trail. He wasn't actually in the woods. Yeah. Now, Paul Jepson um, is our next... Um, missing person. And this one's really sad. Um, he was an eight-year-old boy. Um, his mother worked as a caretaker for the local dump. And on Columbus Day in 1950, Paul and his mother hopped in the truck and headed to her workplace for a short task. She wasn't planning, you know, to take much time. So she gave Paul strict instructions not to leave the truck. However, when she returned to the vehicle, he was gone. Now, he's eight years old. Mama said, don't leave the truck. And what does this little kid do? Um, even in the 50s, I don't care how, I don't care what century it is, how many millions of years, 100 years ago, we all know an eight-year-old boy yes. is not going to do what you tell them to do. Hell no. And they're probably not going to do what they told you they were going to do. <laughs> so... That's probably true. Note, note for you guys out there. Yeah, if you have an eight-year-old boy, um, you're in the woods in a and, truck. And he's likely a liar. I mean, I'm just saying. Oh, <laughs> yeah, all eight-year-old boys are liars. I can tell you that. I mean, and we say that because we have experience. Uh, yes, we have first-hand we're knowledge. We're just pulling the shit out of our hats. <laughs> well, just like Paula Weldon, Paul wore a bright red jacket. Um, that would be very hard to miss among the surrounding forest. Another large-scale search ensued, but nobody in the party found anything. Uh, tracker dogs aided in the search effort to no avail. Like the others, the child vanished off the face of the earth without a trace. 
Local local superstitions include the belief that is bad luck to wear red while in the forest. What did I tell you? Leave your kid in the car while in the forest. An eight-year-old. Like, it's unheard of today. But uh, I can, yeah. But I could tell you when I was younger, in the 70s and 80s, probably even in the 90s, I mean, it's what we did. Right? Well, yeah, you, at the start of the day, you got on your bike, you left, you went somewhere. You home until woods. the street lights came on. The gutter. I don't care where you were. You were just out and nobody knew where you were. Now, you didn't have on a a bright red jacket probably and you weren't in the Glastonbury Mountains, but I'm just saying there. So 16 days later, Frida Langer. What? Just 16 days later, Frida Langer went missing on October 28th, 1950. She and several other family members were camping in the woods near Glastonbury Mountain. The 53-year-old Linger, along with her cousin, Herbert Elsner, left their family campsite near the Somerset Reservoir to go on a hike. However, when they were just a few hundred yards from their campsite, Linger slipped and fell into a stream, soaking her clothes and shoes, and then asked her cousin to wait as she ran back to the camp to change her clothes. After Elsner waited for a while and Frida didn't return, Obviously, he's like, I'm going to go back to the camp to see if anything uh, happened to her and everything was all right. Well, it wasn't. Frida hadn't even returned to the camp. Instead, she had seemingly disappeared in broad daylight in the short distance. In the next few weeks, several search parties, which included some 400 people comprised of police, volunteers, firefighters, soldiers, and aircraft, searched for her and turned up nothing. The search was finally called off. Then, seven months later, on May 12, 1951, her body was found near Somerset Reservoir in an area that had been previously and extensively searched. Due to the composition decomposition of her body, no cause of death could be determined, and to this day, the case remains unsolved. Linger was the last person to disappear and the only one whose body was found, though no direct connections had been found that tie these cases together, other than the geographic area and the time period, some claim these disappearances were the work of a serial killer. Others blame the Indian curse or the paranormal, stating the place is a quote-unquote window into the unexplained. And, and I tend to think that a little bit just because it's a triangle. I mean, again... Something about triangles. Paranormal. Yeah. Um, Some say the area is unstable due to the wind patterns that are unusually chaotic and confusing. So people can easily get lost, I guess, turned around. But that, to me, that's got to be a strong-ass wind. (laughs) Like, to knock me around and get me confused. Um, Some people have reported going onto these trails to see what they could possibly experience. One by the name of Chad Ambrovich. Um, from the website Obscure Vermont, he said that a group of four friends and himself took a trip up the mountain trail and experienced something quite bizarre. They found mining holes that were covered almost entirely by shrubbery, and then something unexpected happened. When they had set off for their adventure, it was sunny, uh, but in the span of just five minutes, an insane thunderstorm had taken over. Once in the rain had like just started, they found themselves very disoriented and ended up waiting it out 
Once they reached the flat land, it was no longer raining, and the ground around the area had reportedly been dry. Strangely enough, the locals in the area confirmed that there was not a thunderstorm in the area at all. It was it was just really strange. Um, so I, but I will say, you know, I've been on mountains. Uh, my friend and I from Boston went up to Jefferson from um, Boston, and just to look at there's an inn up there, and it's a ski village. And as we're going up, it's sunny, sunny, and then I kid you not, it it must have been almost in the span of five ten minutes, a freaking snowstorm. Yeah, it was. It I think the weather is just so very unpredictable. The higher you get, it is. Yeah, you just it is going to throw you off. You're going to get confused. You're going to be like, "What the hell?" Because we, I kid you not, it was funny. It was like fifty degrees, and then it's like negative twelve. Yeah, it was creepy and I've never seen anything like it I have I've never lived in the mountains but I've been in the mountains a lot because I have some family right my mom's side of the mountains and my grandma loves the mountains and it's it's very much like that um well I haven't had the snow situation but I've had the sun and the the rain and thunderstorm situation Mm -hmm. it Um, is very I love it I, I mean I love it I think it's very I don't know dramatic you know it's moment to moment things are changing yeah you never know so, yeah, maybe we should go. Just oh, dye your hair before we go. Um, in, so in modern times, in 2008, a music teacher that worked at the Bennington College uh, was an experienced hiker on the Mysterious Trail, which, again, is the long trail. Um, and he had gone hiking there several times. He started where he was us- would usually start, and then on his way back, he began to get confused. The man knew the trail back and forwards, Um, But he started walking back in the correct direction so that he could reach his car and leave. But this well-known trail did not lead to the correct place. According to him, he had walked about five miles in the correct direction, and then five miles would have gotten him well past his car. He realized that those five miles should have gotten him to wherever he needed to be, but they didn't take him anywhere. Um, At this point, a heavy fog rolled in, and the trail grew so dark he could barely see. He reached a maple tree and stuck his hand out to start a fire, but every stick he would cling to was an animal bone. He finally started a fire and sat by the fire during the night. The morning came, and he apparently realized he was on the opposite ridge of his car. He had passed his car and never even saw it uh, or the parking area. Uh, Not even the road he had to cross to get to the opposite ridge, which is very strange. Uh, Luckily, he got out and found the car and was lived to tell the tale. But that just goes to show this whole area causes major confusion. Well, he was not stupid. He didn't get, I mean, he was smart. He didn't, I would imagine it'd be very easy to get panicked. Oh, yeah, and And freak out. And then that's where the loss comes from and... That's a good point. I know from my perspective, panic can make me think Mm -hmm. I may hear something, but I don't. Meaning like I'm not hearing things in general, but maybe you've said something and that's not quite what it was or I skewed it or whatever, that sort of thing. Oh, definitely. He. It sounds to me like he just remained calm, which kudos to him, dude. Yeah, because I think I would have been freaking out running in every direction. Absolutely. (laughs) Where the hell am I? Um. The most recent incident occurred on September 17th, 2019. The remains of a modern victim 
uh, New York resident Jessica Hildebrandt um, were found near the Somerset Reservoir. So that's the same place where I believe Paula, um, or I'm sorry, Frida, that's Frida, um, was lost. So that's kind of creepy to me. Um, but she was found, um, and the police actually determined that her death was a homicide. Uh, no leads have ever turned up about her killer. Uh, she was nicknamed Red by her family and friends. So once again, the Red connection is tied to her. I'm calling that a stretch. I don't know. It's, I do. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. I, it's still a connection. I mean, it's still Red. But other than that, what what is there? I don't know. Maybe her hair was red or something. I didn't look at her picture, but yeah. Either way, um, in August 2021, Joseph Schnewick um, was found in his truck at Somerset Reservoir with a self-inflicted uh, gunshot wound. Uh, he had been missing for several weeks. His truck, guess what color it is? It was red. Despite the variety of circumstances, the color red, in my opinion, still remains very consistent. So I, I don't know. Come at me, because red, red, red. How do you I mean, explain re- that? Red is here, but fuck, they're all breathing air. They're all in the same area. I mean, come on. There's so many. Red to me is red. Is here's what red is to to them. You're right. It is consistent, but it's a stretch because they have literally nothing else. So don't bust so with this my bubble. <laughs> I mean, there's, I, I mean, I don't like, there's got to be something. We're never going to know what it is, right? Right. We're just I, never going to know, but which is crazy. I find it interesting that there's a lot of missing folks around that reservoir, which yeah. now I want to go to the reservoir and find out what the hell's going on. Yeah. Well, people's bodies are turning up around the reservoir, right? I know. We should go digging. <laughs> So let's talk about some theories. Uh, one practical answer that is obviously less satisfying is the theory of hypothermia. Look, science, here we go. <laughs> Ugh, science coming to ruin God the day. bless it. <laughs> don't come at me with fact science. Get out of here. I know. I don't want to hear you and your logic. <laughs> Since the mountain drop, you know, like the temperatures drop drastically, the explanation of hypothermia is a very large possibility. Uh, this would, however, explain the reason for the disappearance only happening in the winter months because remember we've got you know several of those people were have gone missing in December and I'm gonna tell you December up there is cold cold I was gonna say it's cold as hell it's not like here where we're in shorts no ma'am no <laughs> ma'am um and when I went and saw my friend and I guess uh, when was that February it was cold in Boston mind you but in Jefferson as I mentioned it was like negative 10 it was freaking cold as hell. Um, and when hypothermia kicks in, a human's instinct is to burrow. Um, you're going to get down. You're going to try and hunker, keep yourself warm. Um, people will find a small place that they usually would, you know, barely be able to fit into just so you can keep yourself warm. And those places are really remote. So you wouldn't be seen by somebody coming to look for you. So here's something that I have not done research on, but I heard is a symptom of people who are suffering and at the end stage of life when they're dealing with hypothermia Mm -hmm. is, is they get hot or they think they're hot Hot. and they take their clothes off. So, uh, and like I said, I haven't done a lot of research. I just seem like I picked that up somewhere. Right. So I don't remember you saying that they found clothes 
Yeah, I, there were no instances of clothes like, you know, naked bodies being found. Right. So, I mean, I get it. That might explain some other cases, but in these missing folks between, you know, the I got 50 and 55, uh, that's, yeah, there's no explanation, right? There's yeah. no, ex- I don't, I don't see hypothermia being a very strong contender as to what happened to these people. Yeah. But, you know, typically hypothermia, it's too late, you know, and, and when people are, you're burrowed down and like you said, you're in your last stages, you may be naked because you think you're burning up, you're dying. Your body is confused. Yeah. It, it's lost all its sensory. And so it's hard for a person to be found alive at all in those circumstances. So that's one theory. Um, the next theory, I think we, I personally don't buy into this one, but this one is the serial killer. I'm um, always all about a serial I'm always team serial killer. <laughs> Let it be a serial killer, please. It's terrible. Well, some believe that a serial killer was on the loose around the mountain, but the lack of evidence leads experts to believe it's probably not a likely explanation. Um, The age and the gender of the victims do not match any typical patterns that we see with serial killers. Um, If you think about it, you've got an eight-year-old boy all the way up to like a 74-year-old man. So usually serial killers are going to hone in on and and have some kind of type. Not to mention, how old would this guy be? Or girl. Exactly. It, it, well, I mean, you're, you're talking about the one guy who escaped from the mental facility. I mean, that's possible. And if that happened, I guess in the forties, fifties, I mean, maybe, I mean, present day, that would not explain Jessica Hildebrandt's, yeah. you know, issue. Maybe but it's a combination of a few things. Very well could be. Um, but it also could be opportunist, opportunist, <laughs> I can't say that word, um, it could just be a situation where there was opportunity. Let's put it that way, where you could, you know, somebody sees somebody, you want some, I don't know, drama. You live in the woods. I'm going to kill this person. So, yeah, I mean, personally, I don't think the serial killer uh, theory pans out very well. Um, the other theories, you know, for more than two centuries, we've been talking about Bigfoot. Um, and there have been some numerous sightings of a... Bigfoot-like creature in the Glastonbury Mountain area, uh, which became known as the Bennington Monster. Uh, One of the first reported sightings occurred in early 1800s when a stagecoach full of passengers was forced to stop on a washed-out road. The stagecoach driver first noticed very large footprints in the mud that were too large to be a human. Then the coach was attacked by a large creature who knocked the vehicle on its side. The frightened passengers could only see a pair of eyes before the monster roared and ran back into the forest. Later sightings describe the creature as a large, hairy, black thing standing over six feet. Which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going with science. That probably would be a bear. I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I could be wrong. I've never been interested in the book Bigfoot, so I've never... It's never even from the paranormal normal perspective jumped on my radar. I just could care less about it. Me, yeah, because me it either. just even though I believe in dragons and and all this for whatever reason, Bigfoot is the line in the sand for me. It just seems completely unreal. I don't know why I got nothing, but I did hear that there was some. I don't know about evidence, but there was um, a conversation or 
podcast or something somewhere where there are these large wild dogs in certain areas of the United States that can actually stand up on two. Now, I don't know that they're walking on two feet, but they can stand up on two feet and they appear very Bigfoot-like-ish. So I will have to do a little more research on that because I got nothing to support it and I'm just remembering that I heard something about it. Is it like the Chupacabra? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't, well, shit, that's a whole nother, I believe in Chupacabra, so I don't know, that's a whole nother one. I'm just curious, like, if you're, you know, you're standing, you're a great Dane, and you're standing up on two feet, that's a big-ass animal. I'm thinking more like a, like a, well, obviously like bigger a than a wolf. wolf, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like a, not even like a wild dog, like a, not even a coyote, like a, you've seen how big oh, wolves yeah. are, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'll have to, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that, but now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to maybe Google that and see if I'm completely missing the mark or if there's something legit there. I feel like if Bigfoot, you know, conspiracy theories and, and discussion happen, you can absolutely have a dog on two legs. Right. Why not? <laughs> I'm just saying not anything's possible on the internet. Um, <laughs> just going to throw that out there. That's true. So, um, watch your sources, people. Exactly. Do your research. There are mountaineers and professional hikers who insist that the root of the Bennington Triangle folklore is nothing more sinister than the weather. They suggest that sudden local wind patterns on the mountainside can be erratic uh, and changeable. You know, hence this teacher in 2008 who got lost. Um, You know, the weather just went from okay to crap in literally amount of like five minutes so even those very familiar with the area could suddenly suffer from disorientation uh, get turned around Um, and such an explanation could account for some of the disappearances but in my opinion I don't think that's all of them I mean so far all the ones that you've gone over yeah um, there there's not any one I feel the theories, there's not any one that I feel like are responsible for all of them. That's why I feel like it's a mixture. It's going to be a things. mixture, right? Yeah, that's and and maybe it is. It's just a very strange situation Absolutely. where you've got this one area where you've got lots of people disappearing. Uh, another odd character entered Bennington folklore back in 1892. A man was working at the sawmill in Glassenbury and hit another man over the head with a rock and killed the other man. So we've we've got some really disgruntled folks up in Glassenbury. I don't know why, but I want to know what they're are they working for the post office? Right. Is it UPS? Is it you know, very stressful? Clearly. I don't know. The authorities caught the killer um and put him away. However, he escaped. So now this could be tied to the guy back in our the beginning of the story who killed somebody. So maybe it's the same same man, um, and he's been put away, and he escapes. And rumors spread that the killer had gone to live in the mountains and became a hairy, deranged, quote-unquote, wild man. So some stories now, say... I'm, I'm sorry, do you know no. he was black or white? And no. and I asked that specifically because of the because of the big Bigfoot one you said that was a black, hairy... Yeah, yeah. So a creature? Yeah. yeah. No, I don't so know. So that's why I'm asking like if he maybe <laughs> right? Oh no, it was eighteen ninety two. Was that no, that was right around the time, wasn't it? Yeah, well that's that's yeah. 
Yeah. It's the same. I mean, you're in a stagecoach. Yeah. And then you see this. I mean, it could be the same person. Potentially. Anyway, just throwing that out there. So some stories say he would at times travel down um, from the wilderness and exposed himself to the women in Bennington nice. and Glastonbury towns. So if this is the same man that killed his coworker, you know, and from the beginning of the story, you know, I don't know whether it was black or white, but if you think about it, if he ran into the woods, he probably hasn't had a shower in a hot minute. So he's probably dirty. Especially so, he's not showering in the wintertime because what? it's frozen. Very Right? So he's, he can't shave. Some spring water maybe in the summertime, but in December, that shit's frozen and he's gross. And and then that, yeah, the dirt's frozen on top of him. So yeah, it's kind of like a protector. So he, he could be black because of dirt. So most, most historians doubt that the wild man McDowell could be responsible for the disappearances. But by 1900s, he would have been a very old man. He would have been much older. And I don't know that he would have had the strength to kill anyone. You know, I'm just saying, especially he's living in the mountains off berries and probably poison ivy. Right. Just a thought. Nevertheless, um, the Bennington monster seems to have merged out of folklore um, as one creature person. So, you know, it is what it is. It kind of falls in line with me with Bigfoot. I don't know that that really is a is some a theory we should even consider. Now, many hikers and hunters report cougar sightings in the area, and these big cats can stalk hikers for long distances, uh, may wait for an opportune moment to strike. People out by themselves are at most risk, and especially during times when the mountain lion's natural prey is scarce. So these things can weigh up to... 200 pounds, a powerful cougar can subdue and kill someone very, very quickly. And I think that's probably more of a, a feasible explanation. I would um, imagine that if it, yeah, because um, I don't think a mountain lion is going to, you know, eat you right there. They're probably going to kill you and drag, drag your ass you. away. Exactly. And, and then, you know, so cubs and daddy bear or whatever, mama cat or whoever. I don't know. Right. Right. I agree. And I, I mean, I think that kind of, that would make sense to me when you've got several people, you know, they're the two Paula and Frida who had people right behind them and Paula who just went around the corner to go change her, or excuse me, I think that was Frida went around the corner to go change her clothes. And then all of a sudden gone. And they're stealthy. You don't hear them. Exactly. And they go for the throat. So if, you know, you're likely not going to be You're not going to be a scream. I, I agree. Could have been pulled out um, away. And you, your significant other, whoever your companion, whoever the hell it is that you're walking with, they're not going to see you again. And I would imagine, you know, cats or big cougars are like, like that. I mean, I think about you know, dogs and animals alike, they're, they find something, they're going to go hide their food. Right. And so you're never going to find those people again. So to me, that's a very likely um, feasible explanation. Well, some think uh, the mining history may have something to do with the disappearances. Since most of the mine shafts are unmarked, um, there's no telling where they are or who would be able to find them. Um, the litter... They litter the mountainside, and there are just too many to count. 
For these hikers, it means they may wander off of the trail and plummet to their death. Uh, speaking of you know, native folklore, the wind patterns, again, are just very unusual and the plants that grow in strange ways. So it's very hard to navigate the trail. So you've got not only strange areas where there are, you know, you could plummet to your death, um, as well as, you know, foliage and shrubs that make it very hard to navigate on the trail to begin with. So you don't know where you are. Um, While this may explain why people go missing, it does not explain why Frida uh, went missing and turned up in a location that had already been searched or why Paul Jepson's trail ended at the highway. Many um, believe the answer is just that these hikers and civilians, you know, just didn't die the same way. Just like you said, Carrie, it can be a combination of things. So it's not just one consistent uh, commonality throughout. Right. Maybe some of them met a killer or fell in a hole, um, but that doesn't explain why all of them met their demise in a five-year span or in the same months. Uh, Why did the disappearances only happen for five years and then stop? We don't don't know that. Um, Whatever the reason for people's disappearances, it's safe to say that the Bennington Triangle is definitely a creepy place. Um, I'm, I'm putting it on my list of places to check out. Um, and we'd love to hear if anybody out there has been to the Bennington Triangle. Um, did you experiencing, you know, experience anything? Did you spot a cougar? <laughs> um, did you get lost? Uh, tell us about your experiences. We would love to hear them. And that's all I have for awesome. today's episode. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, stay away from the Bennington Triangle if you are wearing red. I say go check it out. I don't know. I'm I'm a little hesitant. I'm going to check it out. Well, I say that. I'll probably never do it, but I would like to. All right. All right. Well, I hope everybody has a fantastic week, and we will be here the following week with a more exciting, another, I won't say more exciting. Another episode. Thank you. I couldn't All get right, it out. There we go. I Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. This episode of Status Macabre is recorded live from the Maddie Johnson Podcast Studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. This episode is produced and engineered by Neek the Geek, owner and operator of GOT Sound Studio. To support the show, please visit statusmacabre.com for links to social media, merchandise, and more. Special thanks to Muff the Producer, Neek the Geek, Barrett Gruber, and you, our listeners, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thank you for listening.